0: Welcome to the first Office Hours drop-in. Drop-ins are a variation on the Office Hours theme that aim to be short, timely, and a little bit quicker. On to the first drop-in ever with Matt Snodgrass. Well, we're talking today with Matt Snodgrass, recent Ph.D. from H. John Hines College at Carnegie Mellon University, about a recent article he and several colleagues published in the fall 2011 edition of Criminology called Does the Time Cause the Crime? An Examination of the Relationship Between Time Served and Reoffending in the Netherlands. Uh, So, Dr. Snodgrass, just really quickly, what's the main finding of this article? What does this article
1: tell us? So, the big takeaway here is that at least for the people in the sample that we looked at, there didn't seem to be a strong relationship between the amount of time that they served in prison and how likely they were to reoffend after release. So, and that result holds. We actually looked at a couple of different outcomes. So, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if we look at um, how likely an individual was to ever be rearrested or reconvicted, how likely the uh, individual was um, to have a rearrest arrest rate that was higher than might be expected given you know their duration of confinement, or on how, much, how many uh, days of subsequent incarceration. Um, so we had three separate outcomes, and it didn't matter which of those three outcomes you looked at. The moral of the story sort of stays the same. There doesn't seem to be a strong relationship between how long they were in prison and how criminal they were on release.
0: And then the, the other big question is, I mean, I find it very interesting because I'm a criminologist and I look at these kind of things, but why should the public at large care? Why should someone who's not an academic sociologist, how does this finding impact them?
1: So I, for me, it, it's, it's important to understand that there are, there are huge economic uh, consequences to the decision to incarcerate. So if you look at, so we use Dutch data, but I'm going to sort of talk about what's going on in the U.S. here for a minute. If you look at how much we spend uh, to incarcerate somebody, I'm not sure what the latest number is, but typically you see numbers that are about in the $40,000 a year range uh, to keep somebody incarcerated. That's one person per year. So the way I like to sort of frame it when people ask that is, well, we've sort of got a decision to make, right? So we could take this person and we could put them in prison for a year, or we could take the brightest young student you know and send them to Harvard. For a year. Those are the sort of decisions that, that we're weighing off here. And, the, and I mean, the, the big question is all right, we have to put out this large expenditure to keep this person incarcerated for X many years. What's the real return in terms of safety um, from making that decision? And is there a better, more efficient way that we could allocate our resources? Sure. So
0: going off of that, what what kind of, uh, I guess, sort of policy implications or, or those kind of ideas coming out of this do you think that this kind of study could speak to or point towards?
1: So I, one thing that I think is always important, especially you know, when you're thinking about you know, policy, is to look at what an entire literature tells us rather than what one study tells us. Um, and if you sort of look at the literature that we have on what happens when you send somebody to jail, at least with respect to their likelihood to engage um, in future criminality, you know, there there's beginning to emerge a theme and that theme is it doesn't seem to have a very much indel- sort of individual level impact on their behavior when they're released. And so this sort of It's back to that idea of, you know, well, how are we going to spend these resources? And I think, you know, it it turns out, you know, this seems like a question that should be pretty straightforward to answer, right? Like, well, people go to jail and we can see them when they get out. But there are all sorts of sort of technical reasons that make it really hard to answer this question, and so we've been getting better and better at trying to figure out ways to answer this question. And the better we get at answering the question, at least right now it looks like um, the better we get at it, the less evidence there is for a really strong impact of incarceration on individual-level behavior. Now, I do want to sort of point out something that I think is important, which is you know, w- one question uh, when you talk to people – is you have the sort of policy-relevant decision, like how are we going to invest our resources? But there are lots of other reasons to use incarceration that aren't related to its effect on the individual, right? So you can, have, you can, you can make just desserts arguments to, to still to make this use of incarceration seem or not seem, but use of incarceration can be legitimate on the, on the basis of this you know, just desserts argument. Basically, you know, these people violated the law and we have to have some punishment, and hopefully that punishment fits the crime, and we decide often that that punishment is incarceration. Sure. Uh, You know, and one more question
0: I wanted to ask, I don't know if this will actually make it into the podcast, because we we normally shy away from methods, because this isn't designed for professional uh, sociologists, but I think your project really stands out because you used some really inventive ways to get at this question of recidivism and impact. Um, and so I was wondering if you'd be able to give us kind of a good lay explanation of, of what you did and why it's unique or better able to answer this than some other studies. Sure.
1: Now, the method that we used, we it's sort of the first time it's been applied to criminological data. And, and it's really a pretty new method. We're still working some of the kinks out. But one thing I want to make sure and did proper attribution here, you know, so there are some, there's a statistician um, at the University of Pennsylvania by the name of Paul Rosenbaum, um, who's done a lot of really, really good work. And in fact, the the method that we use here is sort of an extension of the method that he, he and one of his students um, constructed. So, so we got proper attribution out of the way. Um, basically, what? What's going on here is, so I mentioned it makes it sort of hard to answer, you know, it's a hard question to figure out. And the reason is because judges get to decide who does and doesn't go to prison, right? And for how long they go to prison. So you can imagine um, that judges might have some good insight into how likely an individual is to commit crimes, or how the individual might respond to incarceration. So maybe they'll be deterred, or maybe they would be their offending would be enhanced. And so the, the issue is the reason you can't just compare offending between those that went to jail and those that didn't is because you have this selection artifact, right? And so you've got to figure out ways to deal with this selection process. And so what we did here is we sort of the the, the basic idea is you step back and you say, okay, well, what are the what are the Factors that are driving the judge's sentencing decision. What are the factors that could be creating um, sort of different groups of people that go to prison or don't go to prison or go to prison for, so for example, in our study, go to prison for one month versus six months versus a year. And what we do is we measure those. And we use a whole bunch of these different factors that criminologists have found repeatedly uh, predict uh, a judge's sentencing decision. And the likelihood of offending on release. So we measure a whole bunch of these things. And then what we do is we create pairs. Right? We we do a bunch of fancy math, but at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to create pairs. And the people inside these pairs served different periods in jail, but looked really similar on those factors that, that influence the judge's sentencing. So like in our we had things like um you know, was the person originally from the Netherlands? How old were they? What, does their, what sort of did their offending trajectory look like? What, how, um, what, what was their sex? You know, we had, I think, a whole list of these covariates. And what we did is we created pairs. So we take somebody who is, say, about 20, and we find um, somebody else who was about 20. Uh, somebody who was male, well, we find somebody else who was also male, somebody who had very similar offending patterns and very similar demographics and very similar families' histories, all of these things. So at least we know that those things that we use to create those pairs aren't influencing or aren't biasing our estimated effect. And that's, that's sort of the idea. The goal is to make pairs of people that are very similar but ended up getting different amounts of, of incarceration
0: i got to say, that's a very good lay description because I don't do statistics at all, but I was able to follow that. So that's all we have for you on our, on our nice short little podcast here. But I want to thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us about your research.
1: Oh, yeah. Happy to do it.
0: And that was our first Office Hours drop-in. From now on, we'll be mixing these shorter episodes in with the longer, regular Office Hours episodes. We think you'll like them, but let us know what you think at SocietyPages.org slash hours. See you soon.